This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We've got a story of the, the faith of Abraham. And oh, what a wonderful example Abraham was to us and is to us as far as his faith is concerned. But I think sometimes we, um, we miss some of the, the, the truths, the real where the rubber meets the road type stuff just down where we live when we just see the account in Romans chapter 4. It gives us a great overview of Abraham's life of faith. And in that, we'll start reading verse 17. As it is written, here's what God said unto you. As it is written, I have made thee the father of many nations. In other words, it's written in the scripture that God said to Abraham, I have made thee the father of nations. Many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God. Now, that's a, that, that's a real poor translation because it means Abraham was like God. In this manner, Abraham was like God, who God calleth things that be not as though they are, and he quickeneth the dead. In other words, it's saying Abraham imitated God by calling things that were not as though they were. That's what verse 17 is really trying to get across. God said, I've made you the father of many nations, and Abraham imitated him by repeating that, calling things that were not as though they were. That's what the import of verse 17 is. Verse 18, who against hope, that means Abraham didn't have any natural hope because his body was too old to have children. Who against hope believed in hope. He had to come up with some hope outside of his physical body. Well, what was that physical or what was that hope that he came up with outside of his physical body? That hope was according to that which was spoken. In other words, he based his hope on what, what God said to him rather than what he could see in his flesh. To what end? So that he might become the father of nations. In other words, he wanted a result, and in order to achieve that result, he had to base his faith on what God said, because there was no evidence in his physical body to support it. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. I like the American standard on this. It says, but looking under the promise of God, he wavered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. But if he's not looking at his body, what's he looking at? He's looking at the word of God. That's how he kept from considering his body dead. He's not denying the circumstances. He's not denying the facts, but he's got something greater to look at instead of the condition of his flesh. And what that was, was the promise that God had made to him, so shall thy seed be. And being fully persuaded, verse 21, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, verse 21 is really, in in my thinking, verse 21 is the key. You've got other verses, verse 20, for example, being uh, strong in faith, giving glory to God, and so forth. That's great instruction of how to operate in faith. But verse 21 is really the key. Because you can operate the principles of faith all you want to, but if you're not fully persuaded that God can do what his word says he'll do, then at best you're going to spend years and years making confessions before something takes hold. And as a result, we look at these things casually. This is telling us about one event in Abraham's life when he was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old. You know the story about how Isaac, the son of promise, was made. The promise of Isaac was made to them. But but that promise was made when he's 75 years old. 
So for 25 years, he has not realized that promise, and God works things out miraculously for him to have a child when he's 100 years old, way past, both him and Sarah, both way past childbearing age. Turn back with me to Genesis. Let's start in about verse uh, or chapter uh, chapter 18. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre and sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Talks to him about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, different things like that uh, in the chapter. But uh, verse 9 is where I want you to see. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, This has got to be Jesus. This has got to be the Lord as one of these three guys, two angels and Jesus showing up at Abraham's house. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. Do you know what that means? The time of life has to do with God restarting her um, reproductive organs. I don't know how long they've been inoperable, but returning unto her according to the time of life means I will start things in her body again. I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. In other words, her reproductive organs have stopped. She's gone through menopause and so forth. That's going to change. The promise she just got from the Lord is that's going to change. And so Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? In other words, now I'm going to have a child? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore or why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, the Lord knows that Sarah's listening. So when he says this to Abraham, he might as well be talking to her, because he knows she's hearing this. Now, with Abraham... He changed him from his place of unbelief by repeating the promise and giving him a vision, a different vision than he's ever had before. With Sarah, he does something entirely different. He challenges her on God's ability, on his ability. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Folks, that's a real question we ought to ask ourselves. That's a real question. When you start believing God for something, whether it's physical, whether it's financial, whatever it is, when you start believing God for something, that's, that ought to be a question you ask yourself. Is God big enough to do this? Because the devil's going to challenge you on that somewhere along the way. So if you get that out of the way up front, that gives him one less thing to hang his hat on. Gives the devil one less opportunity area to attack you. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, we can casually say, oh, no, all things are possible with God. But the question is really, as far as you're concerned, real life, real belief, is anything too hard for God? Is your situation too hard for the Lord? Well, maybe you're facing something that's impossible. Yeah. And? Is that too hard for him? See, you start thinking like that, and you start thinking about how big God is. You have to. God created this place. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made it from nothing. So we know he's that big. Is that big enough for me and my situation? Do you see the point I'm trying to make? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. But he said... No, you laughed. Now, we assume that he said means Abraham. 
We assume that this means that Abraham is the one that asks her about this or speaks to her in some manner. And she says, no, 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 I didn't laugh. I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, no, you laughed. Now, why would Abraham agree that she laughed when all he's got is the word of the Lord that said she laughed? Because now the word of the Lord means more to him than anything that he sees and hears. So what does he say to Sarah to get her from a place of unbelief to a place in faith where he can change things in her body? He challenges her on her belief concerning God's ability. Totally different operation where Abraham was concerned. It took a different thing to get each one of them to a place of faith. New vision for him. For her, it was a set time and the question of God's ability. I will return unto her this time next year. She's probably been thinking, we've been looking for this for 25 years, and now all of a sudden it's going to happen. God says, this time next year you're going to have a child. So what does he do? Well, for me, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but in, in, in knowing me, that would give me the encouragement that I would need to believe anything I had to. I'm just a year away. Thought it was never going to happen. Now I'm just a year away. Well, assuming that there's a nine-month pregnancy, as we would assume to be normal, then this time next year for her having a child, within three months, she's getting pregnant. We know it can't be over a year for Abraham because he was 99 when God first appeared to him or appeared to him in chapter 17 or 18, whatever it was, and changed his name. So we're talking about a matter of months. We're not talking about a real long time. What I want you to see is they both went from being in unbelief to being fully persuaded in a matter of a few months. All because they focused on the right thing. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Here's why the Word of God is the power of God, because it reveals God's will. When you can find God's words on a subject, whether it's healing, whether it's finances, whether it's peace, whatever area you have need of, you find what God's Word says, you've just found God's will in that area. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. Now turn back over with me to chapter 22. Chapter 22, Isaac's been born. Verse 1, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abram and said unto him, Abraham, or did tempt Abraham, excuse me, his name's different now, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, I'm here. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. That's quite an interesting conversation he must have had with the Lord. Now, please notice it says, uh, I'm sorry, I don't really hate to take the time here, but I can't overlook this. Here where it said God did tempt Abram. A lot of times people will say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Bible says God doesn't tempt us with evil. 
This can't be God. This can't be the right thing. And you've got a whole group of the church that says that Abraham really missed it here because God, did, God didn't really tell him to do what he wound up doing. Well, folks, I want you to, to uh, uh, James is the one who says God can neither be tempted of evil, neither tempts he any man with evil. The reality is that the word tempt here means test. And the Bible is very clear and very specific about God not testing you with evil. But it doesn't say God won't test you. It says he won't test you with evil. And I would submit to you that every word of God is a test. Every instruction that you receive from the Lord is a test. The instruction about bringing your tithe into the storehouse is a test. He's not testing you or attempting you with evil, but he's testing you as to whether or not you'll obey his word. And you can come up with a lot of reasons not to. You can come up with a lot of reasons not to do whatever the Bible says. The Bible says walk in love. That's a test. You can come up with a lot of reasons why you shouldn't. Well, they've been mean to me. They did me wrong. They talk about me. Okay? So what are you going to do? The Bible says be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Now, God knows what the end result of this thing is. Abraham does not. But Abraham thinks this thing through. He takes everybody, goes on the way to where God's telling him to go. Verse 4, it says, Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now, the Septuagint, notice he says that we'll come back. Notice he says we will come back. We will come back to you. He's not saying I'll come back. I'm going to kill him up there, but, you know, I'll be back because God loves me. No, it says we'll come back to you again. The Septuagint is even more specific. It says we will, uh, having worshipped, we will return to you. Now, the Septuagint was the Bible of Jesus' day. It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went both of them together. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. The word provide means to show forth or to see. He literally says, my son, God will show forth himself as an offering. In other words, Abraham's saying, we're going to see something on top of this mountain. Isaac, you're going to see God provide himself for us. Now, what's he thinking? Is he thinking God's going to stop him? Before he offers his son as a, as a sacrifice? Is he thinking God's got something stuck in the bushes up in the mountain as, as what it turns out to be? What's he thinking? I don't know. But we do know he's thinking we're both coming down off this hill. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there. And laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on an altar upon the wood. How did he get his son up there? Abraham is eight, uh, uh, a hundred and, um, what is he, a hundred and... 15 years old, something like that, at the time this takes place, maybe even older than that. How does he take his teenage son and tie him up and put him on the altar if Isaac is not willing to be laid down? We miss some of this when we just read over it real quick, don't we? 
Isaac had to be a partner in this. How did Abraham convince him to lay down? How did Abraham convince him, okay, now, son, here's what's going to happen. But I need you to cooperate here. How did he convince him to be willing to do it? See, folks, this is not just Abraham's faith. This is also Isaac's inheritance. So he laid him on the altar. And Abraham stretched forth his son, his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He's willing to go through. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that Abraham received Isaac in a figure. In other words, he envisioned this. If God has to raise this boy from the dead, he will. We're both coming off this mountain. Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, lay not your hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything upon him or unto him. For now I know. What was this? This was a test to see how far Abraham would go to obey God. How far will you go? Will you go to the point where it gets inconvenient? How far will you go? Now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Kind of sounds like what God did sending Jesus, doesn't it? And folks, that's what a covenant is. A covenant is everything is mine is yours and everything that's yours is mine. Abraham has just said everything that's mine is yours, including the son that you gave me miraculously. So if it, even if it hadn't been part of God's original plan of redemption, which was formed from before the foundations of the earth, God is now obligated to offer his son for Abraham and his seed. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Verse 14, please notice verse 14. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh. Now, we sing songs and talk about how Jehovah-Jireh means the Lord will provide and so forth. And that's an accurate translation. But the word literally means he will be seen. Seen, S-E-E-N. In other words, and the reason we use this for provision is God will show himself as the provider. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time. And here's what I want you to see, verses 16, 17, and 18. And he said, by myself have I sworn. Now, this is the Lord speaking from heaven. He said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. Folks, this is what brought you in. Now, notice again before we turn and uh, uh, look real quickly with me, but also turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. Here's what the Lord said again in verse 16. I'll read it to you as you're turning to Hebrews 6. By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, that in blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. Now turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. 
For, verse 13, when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. That's what we just read in Genesis chapter 22. That's when God said in verse 16, Genesis chapter 22, by myself I swear, because you would not withheld your son, your only son, from me, that in blessing I'll bless thee, and in multiplying I'll multiply thee, and make your seed as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in thee. For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Now, folks, there's only a couple of times you can find in Scripture where God ever swore by himself. Number one, he swore uh, in Genesis chapter 22. That had to do with the promise of Abraham. Two times in Numbers chapter 14 did he swear. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 21, I think it is, he said, As truly as I live, as you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. Now, that phrase, as truly as I live, is God swearing. Because what's God's life like? Isn't it eternal? In other words, it's God saying, this is the way it is. It's an unchanging law. It can never change. As truly as I live, this is eternal. I will deal with you according to the words that you speak in my mouth, or words that I hear you speak from your mouth in my ear. Then again, he says in Numbers chapter 14, I think this is verse 28, as truly as I live, the whole earth shall be filled with the glory of God. Really only three times you can find in Scripture, at least that I can find in Scripture, three times where God swore something. I mean, he's God. He really doesn't have to swear. But three times, once to Abraham and twice to Abraham's seed, did he say something about this is the way it is, it'll never change, this is always the way it's going to be. One had to do with the blessing of Abraham. The other had to do with the the principle of faith. God deals with you according to the words you speak. And the third had to do with the glory of God being seen and known in the earth. That's a pretty good three list of three things. So again, back to verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Blessing, I will bless thee. Surely, blessing, I will bless thee. And multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently, he, Abraham, patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men, here's the way the principle works. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. In other words, if two people are in conflict, once you get a guarantee, then the strife ends. Well, the oath is the guarantee. In other words, if you and I are in some kind of business arrangement, and I make you a promise, and you come back and say, well, how do I know you're going to keep that promise? Once I make a guarantee, once I put it in writing, in other words, that would be the equivalent of an oath in their day. Once I put it in writing, now I'm on the hook. I'm legally bound. you got nothing to complain about anymore. you got a document with my signature on it that guarantees that what I promise you will be a reality. That's what the oath is like. An oath is an end to all strife. In other words, the oath is the guarantee for that which was spoken or promised. Wherein, verse 17, God, now we're going to put this in a God context, a divine context, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability, immutability just means unchangingness, Wherefore, God, being more willing to show to the heirs of promise. Who are the heirs of promise? The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3 that if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the blessing or the promise. So this is talking about us. Wherefore, God, being more willing to show unto the heirs of promise, not just Abraham, but also Abraham's seed, 
the seed being Christ. You remember I talked to you about Genesis chapter 15, where the two divine personalities walk through the sacrifice, both as representatives of the two parties, one representing God, the other representing Abraham. God literally made a covenant with Jesus, not just Abraham. He made a covenant with Jesus so that in Christ you would be an heir of this covenant blessing. If it had just been Abraham walking through there, Jesus being one of them and Abraham being the other, then only the physical descendants of Abraham would have been heirs or in in position to be an heir of the promise God made. But the fact that Jesus was Abraham's representative, then you being in Christ through salvation makes you an heir of the promise. It's almost like God had this stuff figured out. Wherefore, God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. In other words, it's saying, just like I might give you a guarantee, I might sign a piece of paper to guarantee whatever I promised. God is more willingly, more willing, more abundantly willing to show unto us the unchangingness of his counsel, meaning his word. In other words, the impossibility of him to lie. willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the unmutability, the unchanging of his counsel, confirmed it with an oath. That's when he swore to Abraham. You remember part of that, that promise that he swore to Abraham was that in thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed? That includes you and me. If that hadn't been part of it, we wouldn't have had any part of this either. Again, God's looking out for you. That by two immutable, two unchanging things, in which it was impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. How did you flee for refuge? You fled to Jesus. You accepted Jesus as your Lord. Now, folks, let me tell you the difference between counsel and oath. Counsel is the word of God. That has to do with the things that somebody says. An oath has to do with a person's character. Because even if I sign a piece of paper, if I'm no good, neither is the paper any good. People break written guarantees all day long. People break contracts right and left. It doesn't depend on just the paper or the guarantee. It depends on the character of the person doing the guarantee. That's what this is talking about. Two unchanging things. God's word can never change because it's impossible for him to lie. And his oath can never change because his character Never changes. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he spoken it? Or has he said it and shall he not do it? Has he spoken it and shall he not make it good? You've got promises that are impossible for God to break. You know the only limitations we have? Jesus said all things are possible to him that believes. You know the only limitation we have? Right there. And we've got an outstanding story which shows us how Abraham overcame that to become fully persuaded to get one of the greatest miracles that's ever recorded in history. You can too. It's impossible for God to lie. Jesus said that heaven and earth would pass away, but that his words would never fail. The reason that we as Christians should accept the word of God as the foundation for our lives is because God 
cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. God said it himself. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. You're looking at the problems in your body or the problems in your finances. What do you see? So many people are waiting for God to do something on their behalf. And they've got the life of God in them all the time. How much more abundant does the life of God that caused you to be born again have to be for your situation to change? Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.